Welcome to the Students of Surgery podcast series, where we shed light on common surgical topics. Welcome back to our podcast series, and today we have Dr. Henry Petorius, HPB surgeon from Steve Biko Academic Hospital, and we're going to be talking about the spleen. What are indications for an elective splenectomy in our environment? So maybe I'll just start by saying the most common indication for a splenectomy in South Africa would be trauma. But these are emergency cases and seldomly electively done. Therefore, to speak about elective splenectomy, these are usually medical indications. Most common one is hypersplenism. Um, probably second most common would be for ITP, a second line therapy. And then there are some few others which are quite rare, like uh, marginal B-cell lymphoma of the spleen, um, hereditary spherocytosis, and then left-sided portal hypertension. So you said that the most common is probably hypersplenism. What is hypersplenism? So hypersplenism would be defined as a condition where you have a decrease in your blood's constituents, so that would be white cells, red cells, and platelets, in the presence of a normal bone marrow, which would respond to a splenectomy. How do you diagnose hypersplenism? So firstly, you'll be looking at your full blood count. Um, you'll see a patient without an, a definite identifiable cause, like there's no active bleeding or hemorrhage and signs of malignancy. And you see a patient with an anemia with low red cell count, a patient with low platelets, a patient with low white cell count, or all three or two of them. Um, which you then do a bone marrow aspirate for to show that the patient's got a reactive bone marrow. Usually before we do the BMA, we'll do a reticular side count and that should be raised. That will show you that the bone marrow wants to react to the low cell count. And then once you have all these things in place show, pointing towards hypersplenism, one would go and remove the spleen and this will then be confirming the diagnosis when the blood counts normalize. Just for a small note to remember that in hypersplenism most of the time the spleen will be enlarged. There are very rare cases, probably the more early cases where the spleen could be still fairly normal in size. And when we look at immune mediated thrombocytopenia, at what stage in those patients do we decide to do a splenectomy? So important to remember the first line therapy for ITP would not be a splenectomy. So we would manage these patients with immunoglobulin therapy um, and see and wait for a response. For those patients who do not respond, their thrombocytopenia remains. After therapy, I think they say two months, then one would consider doing a splenectomy in which maybe 60 to 70% of the cases will respond positively and the platelet count will raise. If those are the two most common indications for an elective splenectomy, what are some of the less common ones? So the less common ones are still probably good indications, but just seldomly seen. So there are conditions like we mentioned, marginal B-cell lymphoma of the spleen. Um, this is a very low-grade non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, B-cell, which um, is got an indolent cause. It usually affects older people, and therefore, even though you could manage with rituximab and etc. These patients don't respond well to the chemos. So usually a splenectomy would prolong their life to such an extent that it wouldn't affect their life expectancy anymore. Um, other indications such as um, hereditary spherocytosis is when the red cells are no longer biconcave, they're more round 
and as they move through the spleen, they get sequestrated and so they pop. So these patients usually do not require a splenectomy, but when they have a symptomatic anemia and an HP of less than 8, which requires regular transfusions, we could do a splenectomy, um, which would then prevent sequestration of red cells and therefore will also treat the anemia. And then probably the last one that should be known about is left-sided portal hypertension. This is a rare condition. It's a splenic vein thrombosis. So not portal vein thrombosis, please. And it's mostly caused by either a severe acute pancreatitis or chronic pancreatitis or malignancy, which is infiltrated this splenic vein. These patients, the splenectomy takes away the blood supply to the splenic vein and therefore the left-sided portal hypertension is resolved. Once we've decided to do a splenectomy, how do we prepare a patient for the procedure? It's very good to think of these things, especially for the GP sitting out there. If you see a patient with a possible indication for a splenectomy, the surgeon would be grateful if you've really done some of the pre-operative work for them prior to the patient arriving to the consultation room or clinic, etc. What would you like the GP to do for you? So I think obviously the GP must make a diagnosis, but the other things that are important are counseling the patient, vaccinating the patient, and explaining to the patient what is to come. And when you talk about counseling, what kind of information would you like the patient to, be, uh, to have been given? So maybe to start by making sure the patient would um, consent to uh, operation, um, in which we could do it with cameras or open surgery. Um, make sure the patient understands that it's not a short-term change in life, but there's going to be a long-term change where they're going to require immunizations, as well as a change in their behavior when they do get sick, that they need urgent medical attention, most likely. And then immunizations. Why are immunizations important for splenectomy patients? So immunizations are extremely important to um, prevent one of the most dire or severe complications post-splenectomy, which is also things you need to mention to the patients that there are complications. And this would be OPSI infections or opportunistic post-splenectomy infections, which is extremely severe and can happen very suddenly and is caused by encapsulated bacteria. So which are the specific vaccinations you would like the patient to have? So the, there are three that the GP could give when they're considering to refer a patient for a possible splenectomy. Even then, if we do not do the splenectomy, it wouldn't have caused harm to the patient. Um, but then if we needed to do the splenectomy, hopefully the, the waiting period for the vaccine to be effective would already be passed by the time he's been booked. And these three um, vaccinations are against Haemophilus influenza B, um, pneumococcus and meningococcus. And within what time frame of the splenectomy should they be given ideally? That would be more than 14 days prior to the surgery. What is your advice around the flu vaccine for patients who are about to have a splenectomy or have had a splenectomy? So the flu vaccine, we, we actually say to all people, it's good to get a yearly flu vaccine. And, but these patients, it becomes more important as they are immunocompromised um, in a way. Then, so you should really 
advise these patients to get their yearly flu vaccine. You mentioned adjuncts for surgery. Um, I would assume that the surgeon is going to decide that, but what kind of adjuncts are you talking about? So when the patient arrives at the surgeon, we will always re-counsel the patient, um, but if the vaccination has already been given, it's, it's one step closer to the surgery. But the adjuncts to the surgery are things that assist us during the procedure to do it safely and effectively. Because there are different ways in which we can remove a spleen, um, there are ways that we can shrink the spleen prior to surgery, such as splenic artery embolization, and then blood product management is quite important um, preoperatively and intraoperatively with the splenectomy. What do you mean by blood product management? Not all patients coming for splenectomy have an anemia. Some of them might just have a thrombocytopenia. So therefore I can't say to give red cells. There are different products in blood that we could use during splenectomy. Um, so one is, do we require to transfuse the patient prior to surgery? So when I'm talking about transfusion, we, we're referring to red cells. So patients who are clinically anemic and symptomatic of anemia, and usually with an HP less than eight, we would prefer to optimize them prior to anesthetic. But patients who are optimized there already, we do not transfuse platelets preoperatively. We would rather transfuse them intraoperatively as the spleen can actually get rid of the platelets you've given within 12 hours from giving them and therefore we would rather give it during the surgery to prevent bleeding. At what stage do you ask the anaesthetist to transfuse the platelets? We would preferably not want to give it from the get-go. We would rather want to go a bit more into the procedure once we've isolated blood supply to the spleen referring to splenic artery control. So if you, once you've got the artery and you've clamped the artery, the spleen would no longer receive blood and therefore if you transfuse platelets, they would not be sequestrated anymore. What surgical procedures could we offer a patient for a splenectomy? So for splenectomy, there are two main options we can offer the patient. The one would be open surgery and the other would be laparoscopic surgery. And what would be your preferred approach? So in the modern era, I think we will always try to do less invasive or smaller incisions and laparoscopy would be the preferred approach. But I would rather say, look at the patient and find the appropriate approach. So what would be the major criteria to decide between a laparoscopic and an open procedure? So laparoscopic um, has got small ports and you have to make an incision to remove the spleen. With a very large spleen, you struggle to create a pneumopelotonium and you can't see as well and it's heavy, so it's difficult to find the hilum laparoscopically. So in your very large spleens, I would prefer doing it open, um, but there are ways to bridge towards a laparoscopic procedure. And once we've done the splenectomy, what are the most common complications that we should keep an eye out for? So when we talk about uh, complications post-splenectomy, I think one has to look at what are the acute complications and what are the maybe the intermediate complications and long-term complications. So the one complication which you cannot forget is uh, severe post-splenectomy infections or OPSI organism infections. Um, this can happen with, from the acute up to 10 years after the splenectomy. So one has to really always be on the lookout for that. Um, but this is what we give the vaccinations for. 
Other complications would be in the acute phase, we would look for at bleeding. You can have a bleeding in, in the hospital while they're busy recovering, and this could be quite severe. Um, other infections may be infections in the perioperative period after three days. You can have maybe a localized abscess collection, or you can have a pneumonic effusion. Uh, the other intermediate or perioperative complication that you could get is a pancreatic fistula, which could be quite difficult to manage. If we can come back to the overwhelming post-planectomy infection, which in organisms cause it and how do these patients present? So as we mentioned, the, these are encapsulated bacteria. Um, this is meningococcus, pneumococcus and Haemophilus influenza B. Um, these patients can present with a, a severe acute SERS response or infective response when they get sick. It's not that they get mildly ill, they get quite severely ill very fast. Is there any way of preventing this as a long-term complication? So, one, we get the vaccinations at least 14 days prior to the splenectomy, which gives the, the immune system time to prime itself. Um, secondly, um, when the patient presents with any form of infection, to be very have a high index of suspicion and start antibiotic therapy early. And then thirdly, to remember the yearly flu vaccine and the five yearly boosters of the vaccines that they had. I know we said this was elective splenectomies, but maybe we could have a few words around the, the trauma splenectomy. Which patients would need a splenectomy in trauma? So the main difference between a trauma splenectomy and an elective splenectomy is in trauma, we are trying our utmost best to preserve the spleen. Whereas in elective cases, our goal is to remove all spleen, including accessory spleens. So um, in, in trauma specifically, we, we would first monitor the patient, make sure there's an indication to remove the spleen. Um, before doing so, we can even use arterial embolization to stop bleeding to see if whether we can avoid removing the spleen. Maybe to mention one more thing, in trauma splenectomy, we don't have the advantage of giving immunizations prior. And in the trauma scenario, if you have done a splenectomy, when would you give the immunizations then? So in these patients, I would not do it during the acute phase while the patient is recovering from the surgery. And I would wait more than two weeks after the splenectomy. So preferably on day 14 post splenectomy, I would give them the immunizations. Do you have any final comments regarding splenectomy in general surgery? So I think always think of the spleen as the yellow in disguise. You don't know about it until you don't have it. Um, so we try to keep it, but when the indications are there, they can be life-saving and, and they can have a very good quality of life afterwards. Thank you very much for your time and I'm sure we will hear from you in future podcasts. This edition of the Students of Surgery podcast has been produced by TuxFM. Visit www www.taxfm.co.today for young, fresh and relevant content. That was another edition of the Students of Surgery podcast series where we shed light on common surgical topics.